HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash industry. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, May 6, 2020. This is the 249th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are representing Lucky Rice and Lucky Chow, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, where we we will continue our COVID-19 coverage and my solo dining experience, which is a takeout experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to find solutions. Seek ways for a better tomorrow rather than wallow in the past. As we face unprecedented times due to COVID-19 and are forced to slow down, let's try to make the most of it by looking at the bigger picture and seeing how we can turn this inopportune time into something good or better than what we had before. Let's challenge ourselves to think about how we can improve our lives as we head towards a new normal, discovering answers for a brighter future. That's my tip today. Now, I am so lucky to have my guests on the show with me. We have two fabulous people. First, Danielle Chang, the founder and CEO of Lucky Rice, a lifestyle brand that has been shining a spotlight on Asian culture through food and drink for the past decade. Danielle is also the host and creator of Lucky Chow, a national broadcast TV show on PBS which explores Asian cuisine's impact on American food culture now in its fourth season. And she is the author of her first book, Lucky Rice, Stories and Recipes from Night Markets, Feasts, and Family Tables. And I am also joined by William Lee, 
Danielle's co-host and co-producer of season four of Lucky Chow and executive director of Lucky Rice. William is the founder and principal of Berkshire Strategy Group and contributing editor for El Decor and Town and Country. He most recently was the global brand president of Ralph Lauren Home and prior a seasoned and highly regarded publishing executive with Condé Nast Publications. So welcome to the show, Danielle and William. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you um, via via internet, and <laughs> uh, I I I hope um, to see you both in soon in the near future. But I I have to say um, I'm getting a sneak peek or of your of watching your your new show, and it's so fabulous seeing you on screen. So um, I would love to start out a, and just get a bit of your backgrounds and and how you you both got into. Uh, what you're doing today in in your careers, Danielle? Sure, well, you no, know, yeah. the most exciting thing is actually meeting William um, over a decade ago. We were both, I think, at kind of cross points, crossroads of our careers back then. He can speak for himself, but I had just started Lucky Rice, and William was publishing Condé Nast Traveler. So I went to him with this idea about, hey, wouldn't it be great if we created this platform that celebrated Asian culture, but through the lens of food? And um, to this day, William still makes fun of my pitch because I'm always saying, if we are what we eat, we're all part Asian. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I think it's still true today. But anyhow, that's how William and I met. And then he joined the advisory board of Lucky Rice. And I'm so grateful now to have him, you know, be working with me both on Lucky Rice and on Lucky Chow. Yes. Do you, how did you come up with the idea of Lucky Rice? What were you doing prior? Um, I was actually running a, um, a fashion brand called Vivian Tam. Um, so it's, I was the CEO yeah. of a global fashion company that was selling cultural experiences really, but through fashion and, you know, William had also worked in the fashion industry, both as the publisher of Men's Vogue and then tangentially, of course, at Ralph Lauren. But, um, we just wanted to find like a way, an expression for people to experience Asian culture that wasn't as limiting as fashion, you know, not everybody can wear a cheap haul and look fabulous or fine art, you know, not everybody can own a shoebing. Um, and so I really thought that food was just a really universal and appetizing lens through which to tell these stories that really come from our heritage. Yeah. And, and Sherry, what was so exciting about this, you know, you have to almost go back in time a little bit and really think about what the dining scene was like, not just in New York, but, you know, in the rest of the country. Asian food, obviously, in New York City, you had Chinese food, you had select Japanese food, but Chinese, Asian food as a phenomenon was not really a thing 10 years ago. I mean, David Chang was just coming on the scene. You started seeing young Asian chefs doing really experimental things. It was, you, you saw the beginnings of, of people like Huni Kim, the, the great Korean chef kind of playing with traditional Korean cuisine. But 10 years ago, there were very, very few people who did that. 
So what excited me about Lucky Rice was Danielle really did see this opportunity for us to sort of talk about our culture and our heritage um, through the lens of food at a time where people were just starting to give it the the credibility that it it, it deserved. Um, and now, of course, uh, outside of Mexican food, you know, Asian food is, you know, probably the most popular type of cuisine in America. Um, and a lot has changed in, in the Asian dining scene in the last 10 years. And, you know, Lucky Rice has been uh, an important part of that evolution over the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I feel that, you know, a lot of, obviously, we live in New York City, we eat out all the time, and there's so many great Asian restaurants. I live, you know, right at the border of Chinatown. And um, unfortunately, all of these restaurants are are shut down right now. And um, I think we're trying to figure out how to bring these same flavors that Americans have become addicted to, you know, um, like comfort food in a bowl of pho or, um, you know, in the form of kimchi or sushi rolls, um, as we were talking about the other day. I mean, I think that these, these foods that were kind of still foreign and ethnic to us, even 10 years ago, have become our comfort foods. So in a time when we're all seeking comfort, through food at home, um, you know, what we're trying to do is to, is to bring that to you in a kind of virtual experience. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, I mean, you're right. There's a lot has changed in the past 10 years and I love, I mean, I love thinking of, of your pitch and, or how you guys connected and now have really, <laughs> really worked together. Um, and my, you know, my experience over the, over these past, you know, years working with restaurants, primarily based in New York city is, is going, attending and, and going, you know, having restaurants participate in your Lucky Rice events. And I've been to several of them, that, oh. them whether it was at Mandarin Oriental or, uh-huh. um, you, you know, uh, downtown last year, you had it down at World Trade Center. And oh, you were there. Oh, great. Yeah, I've been, I mean, I'm, you know, between, I'm, I'm good friends and I've worked with Pichet Ong and yes. Eris Bruner Yang. And of course. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely been um, crossover between my career and yours kind of. Well, I on, think that that's how we yeah. initially met, Shari, through Pichet. I, I I believe so, and he is the <laughs> ultimate connector, and right. and yeah, no. So I've I mean, and I've the 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 you've put together these amazing events, and 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 it's not just you know a one night thing. It's it's they're very. I don't know if you want to get into that a little bit. How you how you created um like the you know what what Lucky Rice Festival and 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 the celebration um what you you were doing and how that changed over the years as well. Sure. I mean, we started out with a one week, actually it was a 10 day festival um, in New York City um, where we held everything from Epicurean cocktail feasts where chefs, um, you know, would create cocktails um, inspired by Asian culinary ingredients and um, 
you know, upwards of thousands, a thousand or 2000 people would come to these events where they could taste up to, you know, several dozen cocktails. Um, we had versions of these kind of tastings um, as a night market. Um, our first year, we created something with David Chang, um, he, who hosted our first night market um, under the archway in Dumbo under the Manhattan Bridge. So Great. that was one of my favorite events of all time. Um, and then as we've evolved over the years, we've also been able to take our festival on the road. So um, now they're in New York, LA, San Francisco, um, Chicago, Miami, um, Toronto. And um, we are actually taking our festival on the road as well this year, but not until October. So we're fortunate that, you know, um, the great group of sponsors that we've worked with um, for over the past decade have continued to support us, you know, people like American Express um, and Remy Cointreau. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, we'll have yeah. to future of what festivals and events I'm, I'm sure you're thinking about or, you know, what that's going to look like, but mm -hmm. there's, we don't really know what, you know, the, what's going to be happening in the fall at the same time, but right. um, is, is better timing than certainly having an event right now. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we're going to be very, very safe um, and keep the events minim very intimate. Um, that was the direction that we had decided to go in anyway, pre-COVID um, last year was to create more intimate experiences for groups of, say, 50 or under. And even um, I had been speaking to Remy about creating events at my home oh, wow. <laughs> for a select group of like eight, eight to 10 people. I mean, so really, really intimate events. That's what we were talking about last year already. So I, I, I think that the trend has been shifting anyway in, in that direction as far as, um, as far as events go, food events. Yeah. And I just, I think, I think you just answered the question that I had for my last guest. <laughs> I realized yeah. On episode 248, I had on Steve Sidman, an attorney at Carlton Fields, and his question for you was, do you, do you see yourself having to make fundamental shifts in the Lucky Rice business model and its goals in the post-COVID-19 world? Uh -huh. And he also noted he has your cookbook and is a, is a big fan. Oh, that's so, so sweet. So Sherry, also in addition to the events just becoming more intimate, which is something that Danielle and I wanted to do um anyway i think now with 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 covid we've been fortunate um we've gotten a lot of outreach from from brands turning to us to you know see how we can leverage our experiential ex, uh experiential authority in sort of doing these bigger events and how we can translate them into a more virtual setting so you know, I'll use an example. American Express, who has been a partner of Danielle's, where Danielle's a, a global ambassador for Amex, and they've sponsored um, Lucky Rice uh, for years. Um, this Sunday, we are actually kicking off a uh, six-episode series where we are going to be doing cook-alongs, where Danielle and a guest uh, from Lucky Chow Season 4 will be preparing a dish, and people can cook along. 
Um, and then fine. it'll be followed by a screening of the episode, which is only 26 minutes. And then we're going to have Q&As. And then depending on the episode, there'll be a lot of other kind of fun activities um, along the way. So, you know, I think that's what everyone's really looking for right now. It's like, because, you know, you're sitting at home, you're bored to death, um, you know, isolation is not so fun. Um, you know, and I think that the brands that really stand out are the ones that are thinking through how they can recreate some of that magic of their live events and translate that into a more virtual setting. So we're excited to kind of kick that off on Sunday. Um, and for those of you who are interested, we will have the login information on luckyrice.com this coming weekend. Oh, yeah, and actually, awesome. we're trying to turn it in really into a virtual experience, you know, so people will be able to um, log on to Vimeo, it's free, um, and really cook along. And so this Sunday, for instance, it's Mother's Day. So we are inviting Liv Wu, um, who's this really amazing uh, cooking instructor, um, journalist, and designer, business authority, I mean, my mentor, anyway, who lives on Moss Beach, um, all the way out in Half Moon Bay, California, by the ocean. And um, then we're also speaking to Erling Wu, her son, who is the chef owner of Pacific Standard Time, where we were supposed to hold our PBS screening of Lucky Chow season four during the James Beard Awards um, on May yeah. 2nd, but obviously that didn't happen. So we're really glad that we were able through Amex to be able to turn this into, you know, a virtual experience. And um, they'll both be demonstrating how to create umami because I feel like that's a flavor that people really miss and we're going to be, um, we have a retail component actually that is 100% subsidized by our, our wonderful partners and um, all the profits of this essential Asian pantry box go to help small businesses like Pearl River, who um, we're partnering with to create an essential Asian pantry staple box that you can also purchase at luckyrice.com. <laughs> So you can actually cook along with the ingredients that we're going to be using every week. Wow, this is this is really fabulous. And I have to say, um, I mean, well, I just watched your first episode of season four, which which had um, you guys fishing with you with um, with um, the chef and and, uh, and yeah. talking about um, and and I actually took a note when when his mom talked about umami being. Um, a combination between sea and land and um, yes. it was I have to say it's I mean I was smiling the whole time I was watching this episode because you guys are it's just first of all it's so beautifully shot and you guys are just a oh, joy to watch on camera and Danielle I mean I had watched previous seasons with you and you you're just so great but I I and and just having William join in um is spectacular how have you William how I mean Coming into season four, um, like yeah. with your background, like what did you, yeah. I guess, bring to the table? I mean, be, yeah, you know. So I think you know, obviously, obviously, the first three seasons were were fabulous, and you know, 
being, you know, one of the very few shows that are able to kind of tell these Asian American stories. You know, I, I was very excited to join um, season four with Daniela's co-host and co-producer. But I think that as Daniela and I kind of talked about how we saw, saw Lucky Chow evolving, I think, you know, we both come from from backgrounds that are maybe a little bit more journalistic. As you know, I spent 15 years at at Condé Nast and, you know, I'm currently the contributing editor, one of the contributing editors at El Decor in Town and Country. And so for me, it's really always about storytelling. And I think that great television is really television that kind of lets you fall in love with the subjects you're watching. And I think that as we looked at season four, you know, outside of chefs, we really wanted to look at other people in the food supply chain, in the food landscape, farmers, makers, um, you know, small little producers um, that you've never heard of doing Ayurvedic pickles who have incredible stories. I think what Danielle and I wanted to bring to to season four was a really, really rich narrative um, accompanied by beautiful cinematography. And I'm so glad you you said that uh, you thought it was so beautifully filmed. Our director of um, f- uh, cinematography, this guy, uh, Francisco Ala Wallace. Wait, how do you pronounce his name, Danielle? I always screw it up. You did it perfectly. Oh, my God, I did it well. I did it right. Um, Fran is an incredible filmmaker. And we had a, an amazing crew, second photographer, uh, this guy, Richard Patterson. We had an amazing director, producer, Catherine Sheldon, who you probably um, I, know, Sherry. I do. Um, she's, she's a friend of mine. We've worked yeah. together. I last saw her. We had lunch at, at, at Wayla. Um, oh, I love Wayla. And and she, I I did from my the conference I did in January, um, yeah. my news conference, I had her she edited um some videos for me so oh yeah she's amazing sorry just a, a quick side you know i think the last meal restaurant meal i actually had was with you william at wayla <laughs> oh wow oh wow well that's a good one that's it a is one. a good one i, so, I yeah yeah so anyway so season four it's been it's been an absolute delight um, and I think that what you'll, what people who have been watching the, the show already will notice is that I think that, you know, we're, it, it's, it looks beautiful. I think that the, the, the stories I think are, um, more varied, I think, uh, more sort of people that aren't just necessarily chefs per se, or so specifically, um, you know, makers per se, but there's a, a really nice cross section of people and the subjects, you know, the second episode um, that is probably my favorite episode is all about healing and looking at uh, food as medicine and the idea of functional food and kind of exploring that. Um, Danielle and I are both super interested in wellness, particularly as it relates to Asian wellness and Asian modalities and healing tradition. So doing that episode was particularly fun for us. Yes, and actually we're excited. I mean, a sneak peek of um, what's to come in the life of our virtual series um, includes uh, an episode on May 21st with Waris Aluwalia, who is 
you know, did you ever see that really handsome man in all the Wes Anderson movies who's wearing the turban? <laughs> or I'm going to say yes, but I have no idea what you're talking about. If, you saw, his, yes. if you saw his face, you'd say, oh, yes, that yes. guy. Yeah, that guy, okay. incredibly yeah. handsome, yeah. you know, inside and out type person who has launched this line of healing teas called House of Wars Botanicals. And so we're going to be talking to him and then we're talking to this other Ayurvedic trained healer, Sume Yu, who's in La Jolla, who is basically like my auntie, known her for more than half my life. And she's going to read Waris's face and um, then prescribe, so to speak, essential oils that you can make at home using sort of key Asian herbs and ingredients like, you know, uh, white peppercorns or star anise or cinnamon bark um, to essentially create your own tiger balm. <laughs> wow. So cool. Are you um, now these now the the series the season four is 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 premiering this week on on PBS and so people can watch it. Um, uh, look look up yes. your local listings, right? And yes. So depending on the market that you're in, um, so the way PBS works is public television works is depending on the market. You know they pick up the show at different times. So starting this week, we're in pretty much you know, the top, you know, 10 markets. And as the this the month goes on, we'll be picked up by more and more stations along the way. They pick it up at different times. But to make it easy for everyone so they don't have to, if it's not playing in your market, you we put up all six episodes on our website. So you can either access it through luckychow.org or you can also go to luckyrice.com and all six episodes of season four are there for you to, to enjoy. Awesome. Then watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it is. I think the 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 length of the episode. You know, it's 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 easy. I think it's easy to binge. You could easily binge watch the whole season. You know, oh, yeah. you're tw in twenty six um, minutes. Yeah. Yeah, or if you, it's like, like a, I can't watch myself at all, yeah. so I could never binge watch it. <laughs> no, but I think the length is really else. good, especially busy people. And like, yeah, you could just cap capture an episode. And um, are you, so are you thinking now of, of season five? We are, we, actually. Yeah, we actually had our first conversation about it today. Um, yes, we are starting to think about it. Um Obviously, with travel being what it is today, it's it's affecting how we think about the show and where we go and who we talk to. But, you know, I think that we've, Danielle and I learned a lot about season four, about what we love doing together and the types of stories that we want to continue to tell. You know, Sherry, it's also important to note that May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. So, the season is uh, perfect. The release of the season is perfectly timed to kind of storytelling for this community. And, you know, as we think yeah. about season five, you know, our goal is just to continue to tell these incredible stories. Yeah, I think I, I have to say that I just feel that we're all such, well, we are all very, very much global citizens. You know, how did a sneeze from Wuhan come to the island of Manhattan, you know. Um, 
well, the, the same, <laughs> the same uh, obviously um, is true in terms of spreading culture through narrative, as William said. So, you know, we'd love to really take on more of a global approach as we continue to search for stories moving forward, because everything that happens affects us all on a global level. Yeah, true. Well, um, I look forward to to whatever is how you how you take this your vision and and the next the next stage of it. Um, I know I know it's going to be fabulous. So, uh, on that note, let's take a little break, and we're going to come back and we'll play my speed round game and we'll talk some industry news and I'll also have my solo dining experience and the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's. But since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash industry. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guests today are Danielle Chang and William Lee of Lucky Rice and Lucky Chow. And we are now going to play my speed round game. Um, are you guys ready? Ready. <laughs> what is it? How it works is I name a few things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. So... There's oh. no right or wrong. It's just it's just kind of a, a fun a fun little yeah. Well, little chocolate for me. Round. Yeah, yeah. Chocolate. Okay. Chocolate. We're probably going to agree on everything. I'm just telling you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, lo- I love that. I love similar taste. right now as I say that, but we do. <laughs> so we're probably going to agree on a lot of these things. Okay, we'll see if you, we'll see if that's true. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Eat out. <laughs> Particularly now. I want nothing That's more than to true. eat out. To- I've been cooking every meal for the last eight weeks and I'm I'm going crazy. <sighs> yeah. Well, you know, I think- I've been supporting all of my local restaurants by eat ordering from from people, you know, all of my neighbors. It's amazing. Um how many independent restaurateurs are struggling to stay alive today and how how well they're doing. I mean, in light of everything else, 
You know, I mean, I have my personal heroes, like people like George Chen and China Live in San Francisco. I mean, he's really, he, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't really furloughed his employees and he's still able to maintain a full kind of operational kitchen and um, pantry supply section. So, you know, it's, it's so difficult, um, but there are, there are some people who are, who are really standing out and um, William can speak to this as well. But a lot of um, the people that we featured in Lucky Child season four were actually on the front lines of the pandemic, um, like delivering Taiwanese bento boxes to hospital workers, for instance. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, Sorry, I totally interrupted your game. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes the speed, it's not, it doesn't have, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if we can. I mean, I like it. I like the commentary though. So, of, um, but yeah, we, I got a few more for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about um, wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Champagne. Champagne. Oh. Tasting menu or a la carte? Who depends on the chef. Depends but, on who I'm with, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, too. Depends on chef, depends on... My general is a la carte because I'm a control freak. <laughs> okay. How about small plates or large plates? Small. Small. Lots to share. Yeah, I don't... Um, Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's, chef's counter. counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? I don't care. Either way. Yeah. Okay. Um, all-inclusive doesn't scare me. I mean. Yeah. No, I mean, we would, we, would, we would normally tip at least that anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, a few more. Thai iced tea or bubble tea? Bubble tea. tea. <laughs> ah, my kids would kill me. They were actually threatening to go out and get bubble tea today. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, no. there's a bubble tea place that delivers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know, but um, how right. about how about uh, Ralph's Coffee or the Polo Bar? <laughs> oh God! Well, that's like my that's my old stomping grounds. Uh, the polo bar, of course. Yeah, yes. I had a feeling you'd say that, but I did. Yeah. I have. To, I did. I've been to both, but I did go to Ralph's Coffee um, sometime last year in the Upper East, and you know, yeah. it, it's 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 a cool experience. Yeah, um, Ralph's Coffee for breakfast, polo bar for dinner. How's that? Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the last two are cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. <laughs> and Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Manhattan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many we agreed on. We agreed on maybe less than half. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. That's okay. That's um that's 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 fine. I love, I love hearing the answers. So um, that was the game. And, you know, for industry news, we, we've touched on it through this conversation about COVID-19, but yeah. I just thought we could um, 
you know, there was an article and on Eater New York talking about uh, how Cuomo, uh, Governor Cuomo is uh, putting restaurants in the reopening plans third phase. So this mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, n- new news from from a few days ago about uh, there's a four four phase uh, strategy. Right. And, and that's going to start, I think, May 15th. And so um, there's, you know, they're starting to figure out how restaurants are and are going to come back and they'll be in right. the, yeah. Well, I mean, I first of all, I'm obsessed with Cuomo. Um, I literally, yeah. let me tell you, I watch his briefings live every day. It's like, on me calendar. too. I think there's, I, yeah, he's fabulous. Yeah, he really is. Um, so yeah, that was interesting what he reported a couple of days ago about that. And I was kind of thinking in my head, hmm, well, you know, he's saying that New York City is on the decline. Like we meet a lot of the, the kind of rigor of, um, his opening plan, whereas places like the Berkshires or, or, you know, the Hamptons are actually not, um, within those limits, so they'll probably be reopening um, at a different speed because like just within New York state, he's isolated 10 different regions. And this is obviously like a multi-state coordinated effort. Um, so it really, yeah. it's, it would be reopening June 15th. Yeah, but I think it's it's really not, a, the way I sort of see it, Cherry, it's really not about a date. Um, if you um, If you look at, you know, what a lot of chefs are saying. And, and Helen Rosner in The New Yorker this week has a has a great interview with Tom Colicchio. And it really boils down to how are each and every restaurant going to think about social distancing and what the dining experience looks like. If the bartenders are all wearing masks and the the wait and the wait staff is are all wearing masks, are consumers wearing masks? How do you eat? How do you distance each other? And if a restaurant only seats 50 to begin with and with social distancing guidelines, meaning you can only feed 25 at one time, you know, what does that mean for, you know, revenue and, you know, from a revenue perspective, then what does that mean for margins? And can you even really stay open? You know, another point that that Tom points out in his restaurants it's most of his clients are gone. Uh, they leave the city in the summer. They're, you know, in their second homes. And the city is more or less dead except for tourists. And this year, um, are tourists really going to come? That's another big question mark. So I think it's less about Cuomo saying that, you know, phase, well, restaurants and hotels will be in phase three. It's just like, even if it is phase three, what does that even look like? And well, yeah. And how is a restaurant going to how is a restaurant going to make money? I mean, I think the big fear is that people will reopen only to have to reclose a couple of months later in case there's a second wave. I mean, this is this all sounds so negative, but on the other hand, I think without testing and real strict protocols like they put in place in Asia, it's really a, a for the hospitality industry, it's it's a really big problem. And I think that the other thing that needs to happen is the government really does need to bail out, you know, independent restaurants, which employ, 
I, the statistic is something astounding. Independent restaurants employ 11 million people. And that is before you even factor in the supply chain of farmers, of fishermen, of distributors, of truck drivers. I mean, it's it's yeah. a huge industry that is not is that does not have the lobbying power in Washington that it that it should, which is why, you know, restaurant organizations such as the one Tom is heading up you know, is really yeah, the independent kind of, restaurant. Yeah, coalition. Exactly. yeah, they're exactly. No. And, and I agree. Yes. Everything you said, I agree with. Um, I was thinking there's another article that I read. I think it was an eater. It was talking with um, the, the owners of Yardbird in Hong Kong. Um, yes. And yeah, and I was going to say, I, you know, I went, I visited Hong Kong and Singapore la- like about a year and a half ago and I went to Yardbird and, and so I have like, I can, I, you know, I have a visual, I have an experience. So when they were talking and talking about ha- their protocol, um, it was, it's interesting. And I think looking, looking at what's happening over, over there um, with restaurants is, is, is smart to, for us yeah. to, to figure out how to plan. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I all my entire family is in Asia right now. Um, they're in Tokyo. They're in Taiwan. Um, and um, there, basically, you know, everything's shut down but opened. Um, like, for instance, that Yardbird, you know, the protocol is that you have to get your t- t- temperature taken. You have to sign a waiver before you eat that, you know, indemnifies the, or does not indemnify the restaurant. And then um, essentially you have to sit in tables of four or less and be properly distanced. So, you know, a trend that took place um, in that was huge in, in like Asia, like the food court phenomenon or night market phenomenon, you know, that came to the U.S. big time. And I think like all of those eateries are going to suffer, frankly, you know, because of because that that trend is is obviously not going to be sustainable with social distancing in the short term. However, if you look at what's happened really recently in Asia in terms of fine dining, it's become home dining. And, you know, governments, like especially in Hong Kong, they allow restaurants to open in people's homes. And those are the hardest tables to book. And those are the ones that you have to get months out in advance, you know, and um, maybe this will be an opportunity for young chefs to develop home home meals. You know, um, I have a friend who runs Starry Kitchen out in L.A. who did that, you know, but it was always a kind of underground type of supper club. But wouldn't it be great if we were able to develop home cooks, <laughs> home, yeah. uh, home restaurants? Yeah, well, that I guess even I'm thinking of, you know, my initial tip of thinking of like, you know, the future and solutions and ways we can um, we can get through this and come out on the other side and maybe maybe come up with something, you know, better than we've had now or, di- you know, because I don't think yeah. I, I can't see things. It does, you know. I, I think it's things are going to look different for a long time, um, and we're going to have there, to make adjustments. Yeah, there are going to be seismic changes in formats, and I think you know, fast casual might end up being fast elegant. Like there might be 
there has to be new ways because people want to eat out and people mm-hmm. don't want to cook, particularly in urban areas. So what do those kind of formats look like? Um, and, you know, that's all going to sort of unveil itself over the, the next couple of months because at, real estate is going to be a, a, a there's going to be a big opening in in most major cities for real estate and you know landlords are going to have to be creative chefs are going to have to be creative operators are going to have to be creative to see how they create models that kind of give people what they want give them an experience but in a in a new format yeah true well um yeah it's a lot of changes happening but um is these are good articles to note and i'm gonna yeah so um stay tuned for what's next we'll stay on it uh i am going to do now run through my solo dining experience this week which is a takeout Mm. experience Mm -hmm. and i went to tori shin so here's the run I thought you guys would like this yeah. one. <laughs> so the location, yeah. We're going to get yums through this. Okay, the location, 362 West 53rd Street off 9th Avenue in Hell's Kitchen, New York City. The concept, it's a Japanese yakitori with a mission to provide the most authentic Tokyo-style experience using the highest quality ingredients. In Japanese, tori means chicken or bird, and shin means spirit, so hence the name. The chef and owner is Shu Yakita. Why did I take out? Because I wanted to support a local restaurant that I appreciate. So um, my experience, um, I ordered through Resi. Um, on Resi, they, they changed their format to the takeout options. I discovered later that you could order from Terry Sheen through some other apps um, for delivery, but I actually felt like going and taking a walk. And so I wanted to, to pick it mm. up and I live, I live fairly close by. Um, and the website, it says Yakitori Torishin Select Counter. Um, and how it's set up is they have about seven or eight options and you, and then there, there's time slots. So I picked eight o'clock to pick up my order, um, which is about an hour ahead of, of time, but it just, it's just, you go to the website, it's kind of cool. It has different time slots and different dishes and you just place your order that way. Um, when I picked up my order, I met the manager, Yakihiko Yurashi. Um, and it, he was, you know, going in and, and, and to an empty restaurant when they're just set up for takeout and, and we're wearing face masks and it's just, it's sort of like, I don't know. It's 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 such an interesting experience, and it just it's so nice to see someone. And we had a little conversation. I told him I would probably be talking about this on my show, and and he was very happy. And um, I picked up my order, and I took it home and enjoyed it. So, how many skewers did you get? What how many? Well, what I got, I got the Tori Shin Shin Bento box. Okay. Um. It had the the chicken skewers um, mm-hmm. with the Saboro Don, and it was on ground, and it had ground chicken over rice with seaweed. Oh, yeah. And oh, it looks amazing. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, so it was, I mean, it's like, for me being a solo, like, just dinner for one, it was just, yeah. 
it was great. There was an option, I think, to get five different types of skewers. Um, and there were a few different options, but that's the one I went with. And it was great. I think um, the, you know, I was reading about how they use this special charcoal. Um, yeah. Kishu Binchotan. You guys probably yeah, don't yeah. know about this. And I just, the flavor of the chicken was just so unique and it was beautifully presented. So um, it was great. I, I'd say it's perfect for anyone who wants a taste of Japan in New York City for takeout or delivery. Um, interesting tidbit Pete Wells reviewed Torishin back in April 2017 and gave it three stars. So this is like it's also a Michelin star. star. Yeah. I mean, mm. this. It's as another like, you know, silver lining to all this. Like you can get this this food now to go of this very high quality yeah. um, at a, a reasonable price. The cost of my meal was $28. That's not including wow. tax and gratuity. Yeah. And personal fun fact is I've dined there before at their I mean it's a beautiful space with the kitchen counter. Um, I love the counter. So yeah, it's fabulous. And their website's torysheenny.com if if anyone wants to check it out. Um, good so, yeah. choice, sorry. Yeah, very Thank good you. choice. <laughs> you know, I'm happy about it because I I do live close by, and um, it feels good to support local, like you said, Danielle, yeah. and um, and it's also something. Even though I've been cooking chicken at home, um, whatever they do to their chicken is different than what uh-huh. I do. <laughs> yeah, I hear so, you. Um. Well, great. So, okay. So for the end of the show, we have the final question um, where I'm asking you guys to ask my next guest a question. And I'm having on Michael Schatzberg. He is the managing director for Branded Restaurants and the founder and managing partner of Branded Strategic Hospitality. Um, Danielle and William, would you like to ask a question or two for Michael? Hmm. Well, I, I actually have a question if we just go back to just what we were originally talking about in terms of format. You know, I'm curious to, to, to hear what he thinks could be some of the emerging restaurant formats that might, you know, gain more popularity as uh, post-pandemic. I think that as people have to um, sort of socially distance and people are still, you know, afraid of crowds... How, what kind of long-term effect is that going to have on dining? And, and what are some of the interesting new formats that his company might be looking at to sort of address that? That's a great question. And then just give him a shout out from Kiki. Kiki Olivo, Kiki Suhadi Olivo, who's um, been our events um, director for Lucky Rice for the past five years. Um, and uh, she just got engaged and she used to manage big, big um, daddies. Oh, wow. Which yeah. is one of the places. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, and small world. I know. <laughs> and then obviously his company um, invests in a lot of technology for, for hospitality um, I think technology is going to be crucial um, now more than ever, not just for like, you know, keeping inventory or taking reservations. The role of technology post-pandemic is going to have a lot to do with just managing guests and keeping, 
track of things and and I'm just curious the role that technology is going to have in the future. Yeah, true. And he's he yeah, the another great question. I mean, um yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with him and seeing uh what's going on with his company. He is, you know, he has a lot going on or a lot of different businesses and connections. So mm-hmm. thank you. And thank You're you both for joining me today. I this has been such a treat and I'm <sighs> I'm so impressed with both both of you, your careers, just everything you do is is amazing. And I just wish you both the best. And I can't wait to keep watching the rest of, of Lucky Chow. Oh, thank, thank you so much. You, yes, you're fantastic. And when, the, when this is all over, we're going to all have the most gorgeous omakase at, at Ishikawa. Ishikawa, yes, I know. I there and you know we talking about shifting i mean um uh chef don he was he's he's been doing a takeout and i i need to walk across the park and go get his takeout because you know he's uh i've seen the pictures online and it, oh my god I, I i can't i almost have to tune him out on instagram because <laughs> his well first of all his sushi so his omakase is the most beautiful omakase in, in new york city but his takeout um since this pandemic has been absolutely phenomenal. I, for those of you who live on the Upper East Side, make your way over to Ishikawa for the takeout because it's unbelievable. <laughs> Best sushi. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. It's special. So um, thank you. I I look forward. We will we'll definitely we will have a omakase date at, in the future. Yes, we will. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. My guests today have been Danielle Chang, the founder and CEO of Lucky Rice, and the host and creator of Lucky Chow. And she is at, she is a couple, she's at daniellechang.com and also websites luckyrice.com, luckychow.com. And also my guest today was William Lee, the founder and principal of Berkshire Strategy Group, the co-host of Lucky and co-producer of Lucky Chow and contributing editor of El Decor and Town and Country. Um, so I gave you their websites now on social media. They're at the Danielle Chang at William Lee NYC at Lucky Chow TV and at luckyrice.com. Social media for me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com sherrybear.com and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So um, just a heads up, I started doing these Instagram live interviews, and uh, I have one tomorrow. Um, I'm going to be talking to Jonathan Rubenstein and Gabrielle Rubenstein, the fabulous brother and sister team behind Joe Coffee Company. And I'm doing that tomorrow at three o'clock. That's May 7th on Instagram Live at All Industry. And my past ones are up at IGTV if you want to check it out. I I talked with Stephen Kamali, Arlene Spiegel, and Farmer Lee Jones, and we're covering COVID-19's impact on the hospitality industry. So you can check those out. And um, that's the show today. I want to thank my engineer, Amanda Wang. And again, thanks to Danielle and William. And also a shout out to Gia Vecchio, 
publicist and friend um, who, who helped uh, set this up. And um, I'm Sherry Bayer. Be safe, be well. Thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Till next time. Bye. is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.